Okay, good afternoon and welcome to APW Podcast. Today we are number one and we are meeting the team. Today's uh, team member is Peter Davis, who is based in Thailand and covers Thailand, bizarrely enough, and... And Dubai as well. Hello everyone, my name is Callum Williamson. I'm here with Stuart today. And we're going to be calling in Peter Davis for a chat. Here he goes. Great, it's ringing. That's a good start. Hopefully he picks up. He does have a number of dogs. Hello. Is that Peter Davis? Oh, our man in Bangkok. Morning, guys. How are you? Very good, thanks. Good to speak to you. How are you today? I'm very well, thank you, mate. Um, uh, I'd like to say hello from, from sunny Thailand, but we are having a extraordinary heavy monsoon season here. So we had yet another storm last night, and I'm glad to say that the tree didn't fall on my car this weekend. Yeah. So I'm very happy. Okay. Is that a common experience for the tree to fall in your car? There was just one occurrence last weekend, and so now I'm paranoid that it's going to happen every weekend. <laughs> I think there's a um, medical term for that, isn't it? A, a fear of trees? Fear of trees falling down, yeah. Tree falling down phobia. Well, while we're, while we're Googling it and finding out what is fear of trees, can you possibly tell us a little bit about yourself? How long you've been there in sunny Thailand? the areas you cover, and so on and so forth? Yeah, sure. Um, I was, <clears throat> I left the UK in 1989, um, Sydney-bound, Australia, and I was there for a couple of years. I uh, came up to to Thailand um, in 91, so I'm almost on my 30th year here. So long, long-term resident in Thailand, it's kind of our home now. Um, met my wife Tina here. She's from Germany. Uh, our daughter Melissa was born here, schooled here. She's now running a hotel in in uh, Central Sydney, in Australia. So she's very happy and settled. So yeah, it's it's very much our home. And the areas I cover, um, <clears throat> obviously Thailand. That goes without saying. Uh, there's a lot of expats here, um, particularly in the educational sector. Um, in, in a lot of international schools here, so it's good, very good market for us. Um, I have covered Singapore in the past, still got some clients there, but I also do Dubai and uh, <clears throat> in the Middle East. I'm normally there, um, <clears throat> you know, a week or 10 days in the month, but obviously not, not at the moment. That doesn't allow us to do that, but uh, typically sort of from from March, before March this year, uh, I was traveling up there, um, you know, once a month. So that's a big market for us. There's a lot of expats there. They're paid well and um, and they want to invest. Great. Okay. Thanks, Pete. Um, what I would like to know is what have you learned from living in Thailand for 30 years and being an expat for so long? Um, you know, what have you taken away from that experience? I think... Uh, <clears throat> 
I think it goes, it starts with, you know, why you do it, why do you become an expat? And, and I think a lot of people do it for financial gain. A lot of people do it because they want something different in their lives and, and, you know, and, and being an expat, you know, it certainly gives you that because it's very different living abroad than it is in the UK, particularly somewhere like the Far East. And I actually have a saying, you know, once an expat, always an expat. I mean, I think I was probably guilty myself of of telling my mum when I left for Australia that I was only going away for a year. <laughs> and so, 32 years later, yeah. I've never gone back. But it, it, I think it just it just gives you a different kind of lifestyle. It gives you a quality of life. Obviously, it depends on on, on where you're an expat or where you're living. Um, but certainly, certainly the Far East for me, it just uh, you know it gives us a great quality of life and. Never a dull moment. It's exciting. It's fun, <clears throat> um, and it's in a, in a in a vibrant place where we have a a large amount of freedom to make choices and and do what we want to do. I think that's a common theme, though, isn't it? It's a case of people do go offshore and they tend to stay a lot longer than they think they're going to. I mean, I often meet clients yeah. who um, say, "Oh, I can't really make a decision on this because I might be back in the UK next year, or I might be back in." Australia or mm. whatever it might be. And, um, and then they don't go. They don't. I mean, they don't know. I mean, nine out of mm. ten things that people worry about don't occur. So it's a case yeah. of, um, you know, it's, people stay a lot longer than normally they do. Yeah. Yeah, I was talking talking to a, uh, have a client this week who's who's invested something and he, you know, he, he, he set himself, uh, you know, sort of a five or six year time scale objective uh, when him and his wife might go back to the UK. And I said to him, I said, you know, you've been working overseas for 10 years now. Is that really going to happen? And he was like, probably not. <laughs> but, you know, but it's a, it's a, it's a, it's an open plan. So, you know, he, he, he can, he can invest with the objective of going back in five or six years time. It's liquid enough, uh, or not. So it doesn't matter, but the chances are is that he won't go back. That's very true. I mean, you get a lot of clients also who I found a client we had down at Gerard on school and he went back to the UK with his wife and kids uh, to suffer. Yeah. It was. And um, right. three years later, he was back again in the same job in the same school. So, you know, grass isn't always <laughs> greener and you, you do forget yeah. the reasons why you left um, your home company, country in the first place. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, actually, I, I, I miss the UK, but it only takes the... 10 days or two weeks of being there to, uh, you know, just sort of, yeah, just want to get back out into Southeast Asia because it gets a hold of you for sure. Well, I understood that the police were still after you. Are you allowed about that? <laughs> <laughs> that was a long time ago. <laughs> well, yes, very funny. Peter, uh, another question, if I may. Um, hmm. What would you say are some of the common challenges um, facing you or facing expats in general of living in Thailand, but in Dubai, you know, wherever it may be? Um, you know, what, what are some, some of the common challenges you would say people face? And have you got any advice having been there for 30 odd years? Have you got any advice for people that are perhaps new to living overseas or thinking about moving overseas? What would you say? Yeah. I think, uh, <clears throat> obviously speaking for Thailand, because I've been here for so long, 
you know, I think it is it is a very different environment. And as as foreigners, we certainly here. I can't speak for Dubai so much, but certainly here, you know, you 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 come across many obstacles because it's quite, um, <clears throat> you know, there's 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 limitations put in place for foreigners living in Thailand. And if you want to keep it topical, property's one of them. You know, we're not allowed to own land here in Thailand. So, um, you know, so we have to do that through a holding company, which I do. I have two properties here. And, uh, and I, I do it through a holding company, which is a perfectly legal way of doing it. But it's 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 not a simple way. And it's it's also a bit costly. Um um, but but there are benefits of that, you know. And I mean, generally speaking, it's you know you're moving away from 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 your home where you've been used to all of your life, you know, your rugby club, your soccer club, your family, your friends, everything that you're used to, and and, and moving away can 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 obviously create a culture shock, and that's one of the things that you've got to you've got to uh, it's a challenge that you have to overcome because. Once you do <clears throat> accept the culture that you're living in um, and move along with that, then it becomes a fantastic way of life, in my opinion. Sorry, I thought that answered your question. No, that's very clear. What, um, what about your family? What do they do while, they're, while you're out and about working? What do you want? Sorry, just here. What was that? Tina and Melissa, you know, when you're out and about, what does Tina do? What does Melissa get up to? Well, Melissa, Melissa's now in Sydney. She's uh, uh, running sales and marketing. She's got a really good job with the Langham Hotel in Sydney. It's a full-time job. Um, and because uh, she was at, uh, at college, university in, in, in the Blue Mountains in Sydney. Was she schooled in Bangkok before that? Or? Was she what, sorry? Did she go to school in Bangkok before that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. She was a Patina International School pretty much all her educational life. She was one of the first students actually to go from sort of kindergarten up to all the way through to um, international baccalaureate. And they gave, they gave her a little, they gave her a little certificate, quite sweet, um, for, for one of the first students to do that. So she's grew up, grown up in Thailand, she speaks fluent Thai, but now she's, she's sort of debunked off to, off to Sydney, Australia, where she's very happy. Um, and Tina, my wife, she, she keeps herself busy. She's got a little uh, wine distribution business going on. Um, she does interior design, which is very sporadic. Um, and, uh, you know, and she definitely, she keeps herself busy, but she, she lives in our, in our house in Rayong mostly while I'm out working. So it's a quiet place around here, but she's always busy. Great. Thank you. Um, I think Stuart's got another question before we get to that. Dendrophobia is the fear of trees. We've just uh, just it, it, yeah. What's it called? Dendrophobia. What's it called? Am I saying okay. that correctly? Dendrophobia. There we go. Endroph- Endrophobia. There we go. And for those who haven't, met, haven't met Pete yet, <laughs> Pete is quite tall. Okay. And the oh. fear of people who is tall, who are tall, is gigantasophobia. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. This is becoming very educational. So if you take nothing else away from this, take those two things away. Fear of tall people and the fear of trees. Okay, Pete. So can you give us um, some examples of 
typical, if there is such a thing as typical, but as you know, I've already said, there are 72 Stuart Williamsons living and alive in the UK at the moment. So everyone is very really? similar. So if you can tell us yeah. what would be some of your typical clients you work with and how you help them. Oh, okay. Um, <clears throat> well, they come in all shapes and sizes, that's for sure. I mean, everybody wants something different, but I think, that, I think you know, the general thread is that, um, is that uh, you know, people want to, to get into property because I think in the, in the, in the expatriate environment uh, to invest is, you know, sometimes fraught with, um, with pit holes, if you like. It's a bit of a minefield. Um, and I think that expats like to get into something that is away from um, perhaps away from the financial services industry where there are some good things and some good advisors, but there's a lot of sort of, you know, costly you know, hidden fees, that kind of thing. And what I find is that, firstly, everyone is interested in property in some shape or form. And that, that can be said, you know, pretty cat categorically. Uh, and they also enjoy, you know, talking about and, um, and looking forward to investing in something that's very clear cut, whether it be bricks and mortars, um, you know, in, in the buy-to-let market, or which is which is what we work in, and care homes, and equally so, you know, property bonds, that kind of thing. There are no hidden costs; it's very clear cut, and um, <clears throat> and the costs that are are fairly minimal. So, I think to answer your question, that's what I find about working in this in this you know sector, this industry, is that it's all very clear cut, and people really enjoy that. They find that refreshing. And um, uh, and and a, and, a, and a sort of like you know sort of like a clear you know vivid way ahead for them. Does that answer your question? Yeah, it does. Thank you. Um, mm. So you say sort of you know everyone you meet with understands property or wants to get into property. Um, yep. Here we go. Uh, what would you say are sort of one or two sort of common myths? Uh, that sort of surround UK <coughs> property. You hear a lot of the time it's it's very mm. difficult, or you can't do it from overseas, or you'll never get a mortgage. Yep. You know, hear that one a lot. Um, yeah. So, what are say one, two, or three, however, however many you want to go through things um, that yeah. you hear a lot about that aren't necessarily true? You know, so uh, to people listening, uh, you know, what would you say? I think I think the most obvious one for me is that I think that people generalize too much about the UK property market and that, that's largely media driven you know they 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 are <clears throat> obviously there are um, there's a lot to think about with you know we had the we had the brexit issues we had obviously now we've got covid-19 and <clears throat> and i think a lot of people make the mistake of of talking about or or, or judging the the UK property market in general, and I don't think that should be done in any shape or form. Because if you read a Knight Frank report or a Savills report, what you'll see is that it's it's extremely detailed, and and it and it segments the market. It talks about uh, and 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 provides demographics for 
all of the different parts of the UK property market. You can't talk about it in general. It goes from commercial property, residential property, homes for the elderly, dementia care homes, um, <clears throat> goes right the way through the spectrum. And each different part of that is a different story. Some of it is negative and, 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 and some of it is positive. And I think that's, you know, if you're going to invest into UK property, you have to be clever and savvy about where and what you're investing into. Uh, if you look at the buy-to-let market, for example, I mean, the buy-to-let market is segmented in itself. Um, <clears throat> I sold a house in Gloucestershire a while ago, and a guy from a, 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 a banker from Australia bought it. Uh, yeah. It didn't come and see it, but he bought it mm-hmm. for, the, for, the, for, the, for the sole purpose of renting it out. Mm-hmm. So you could, you could almost call that a buy-to-let, but then you've got purpose-built buy-to-lets, purpose-built where there's a huge demand not enough supply, so developers are, you know, turning cities like Birmingham into a building site, and and that is 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 uh, is, is healthy for a segment which ticks boxes, and it ticks boxes for capital appreciation, good yields. It's got to be rented out because of the young generation in the UK now, um, you know, w- wanting to rent, not own. Because uh, the UK is turning more into a, into a rental market, so so the myth of of <clears throat> I think you know of generalising too much is 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 rife, and, and and expats are detached. You see, they're 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 detached from you know from the from you know sort of having a hands on approach in the UK, um, and I think where we where we come in is we segment it for them and make them understand that. That you can't generalise, and you have to go a little bit deeper into it, and 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 be a little bit more savvy about it. Um, that's one of them. I think perhaps another one um, would be, you know, I think again because expats are slightly detached, they think that it's difficult and not easy to, let's say, get onto the property ladder. Um, and that just really comes from, I think, ignorance, which is not a derogatory term. It just means that they, they don't have the knowledge. They don't know what's out there. Uh, they don't know about, about financing, flexible financing options in the UK. Um, we now have, you know, special holidays on stamp duty, that kind of thing. So, you know, uh, uh, cost is always a bit of a myth. And they can actually learn that it's not expensive and it's not difficult to get into the property market, especially if you're, you know, as a first-time buyer. Okay. There's a couple. Yep, thank you very much. Yep. Now, here's another one for you. Anthropophobia. That's a big one, that is. That's a long one. (laughs) Very long one. Anthropophobia. Also known as... No, also known as nanosophobia. Fear of small spaces. No. <coughs> Small people. No, that's um, agoraphobia, isn't it? No, that's crowds. That's crowds. No. <coughs> people who have met me, they'll know that I am not that tall. And if you're frightened of me, you are therefore suffering from anthroparophobia or nanosophobia. Because really, I'm a quite a nice person. Okay. Wow. Okay, thank you very much. Well, it, I, wonder if, I wonder if there's a, um, a phobia for... 
you know, those furry things that go over microphones. Because I have one sort of stuffed in my face now. So well, I noticed I'm you, wondering if there is for that. I noticed that you have been coughing a little bit during the conversation. And the fear of that is tussophobia or pertussophobia. That'll be me after this call, fear of coughing. Which is the fear, fear of coughing when others are listening. Yeah. Okay. okay. Thank you for I'll that. I'll try not to cough. Okay, Peter, um, another property one, if I may. Um, yeah. Uh, let's see. What's the one thing you wish you had... Ooh, can you hear me? Yeah. You wish you had known when you began your career. Is there um, something you know now that if you go back and tell yourself uh, 30 years uh, ago or... or uh, uh. What would it be? Oh, that's so easy. I mean, there are, <laughs> there are many things, but if we, we'll keep it topical. Um, I bought. Well, it's, this is more of a regret, but I have. I can. I can. I can expand on that. But but I bought a a, a flat in Twickenham. I think probably nineteen eighty. Oh, wow. Whew, nineteen eighty five. I think probably, and I seem to remember. I think it was about seventy five thousand. It's a one-bedroom flat, Camac Road, right next to the Prince Blucher, looking over the green, and and I had a had a ninety-seven percent mortgage. I paid it. I walked into the Halifax building site. He signed a bit of paper, wrote a check for two thousand pounds, and and it was mine. <laughs> uh, I think you know that's obviously that can't be done these days. But it was a buyer's market, and Thatcher was was encouraging it, and we all own property. Um, I made the mis- I made the mis- I-, I left in in eighty nine for Australia, and I made the mistake of of getting hold of some cheapo um, leasing agent and paid absolute you know rock bottom price, and the whole thing turned into an absolute nightmare for me because this leasing agent was just absolutely useless. It was probably costing me more in in terms of <clears throat> um, you know getting people in and trying to keep people in in, a, in, a, in an area that was, you know, high rental demand. And uh, and so I sold it because of that. And uh, <laughs> and I, it's one of my biggest regrets in selling that, that little flat in, in, you know, southwest London. It was, I could, I could see Tookenham Rugby Stadium from my bedroom window. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and what that would be worth now, I'm not saying that I'd still have it now, but I'm just saying that, you know, it was it, it was a, it was a mistake. I, you know, you you, it was almost like a knee jerk reaction because I was having such a hard time keeping up with you know tenants and 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 the and the, you know, the upkeep of the, of the apartment because I didn't spend the money on getting a good leasing or you know management agent. Um, and I think you know that's a regret. I think lessons learned is. Um, I do have a property portfolio, but I think I probably started too late. I'd like to, you know, I, I would have liked to, I've learned that I should have started earlier because it's a, it's a great way to invest and it's done nothing but good for me. Um, my property here in Thailand, which is um, different from the UK, obviously, has done really well. And, uh, and I, wished I'd done it, I wished I'd done it all earlier, to be honest. I mean, we're talking to... You know, to young young professionals, let's say in the educational sector, you know, teachers, and they they they're 
doing the right thing by, you know, in their late 20s and early 30s or mid 30s is, is, is trying their hardest to get on the property ladder to build on that for an income in the future because they, because they don't have pensions. Um, and they can't contribute into a PPS in the UK. They can't contribute into teacher pensions. So, so it's a great way for them to, you know, to do that. Um, and so with, I think my, Learn my learning. Um, it rubs off well on talking to people like that and encouraging them to just get on and do it. I think you're right. It's a um, it's an important thing. I mean, I've, I've got quite a few clients who said to me that um, I say just jump in, and that's what you should yeah. do in a lot of cases. You know, you often wait yeah. for all your green lights to be all your traffic lights to be green before you set off to do something. And it's just not possible yeah. to do that. But I think the yeah. point you make about the, um, the rental agent is, a, is an important one because mm. what we try and do at APW is offer the full package. So we'll go and find a property, we'll search it out, yeah. we'll make sure it fits the criteria for buying for clients, but then just not leave it there. Also go on and help with brokering a mortgage through a broker, help with finding a good agent and who will then find a good tenant. And this is what a lot of yeah. clients don't understand, the value that we add. And it's a common misconception yeah. in that you can go and buy your own property by all means. You know, Go to Sheffield, buy yourself a £100,000 unit, and it should be a great investment. But who's going to manage it? Mm. Are, you then for, mm. are you therefore restricted to buying near your mum or your dad? and Because uh, and the, they're going to look after it. And you know, I've got a, yeah. in my own family life, I've got a a series of disasters that have occurred because I've bought with family members, they've gone to manage it, and it's turned into a a nightmare. So really getting the full package up front, which is what we do, as you know, is an important thing and not to be overlooked. And it's worth paying a little bit extra. I think you see there for yourself, it's worth paying that extra 4% to get a proper agent who understands expats, who's not going to you know, send you an email, at, like a lawyer's email at eight o'clock as they're going home on a Friday night that you can't respond yeah. to until six o'clock on Monday night because they're not open till then because it's yeah. nine hours away. So I understand the point you're making and it's unfortunate that a lot mm. of people fall into that trap as you have yourself, Peter. Now, as I did many years ago, yes. Now there are no, there's no actual word for fear of doing a podcast, but... <laughs> There is a podcast by a, lady, okay. by a lady called Sarah Morgan, and she actually brings her guests along and asks them to relate what scary things frightened them. Okay? And the next episode that's coming out, okay, is fear of, no, no, fear of owls. Oh, really? They're quite scary, though, owls, you know? Have you seen they can be. how long their legs are? I think you sent me a picture on it, Peter. Anyway, they've got very, very long legs, and they are quite scary. Okay. Mm. All right then, Peter. Is there, are there any wrapping up comments you'd like to make? Uh, I know we're going to talk about some case studies, but I think we've enjoyed ourselves so much, we're not going to have time to do that. So perhaps we'll come back again next week and try yeah, sure. a case study experience with you. Mm. Yeah, we can do that for sure. <clears throat> and uh, no, I, I maybe just... Uh, Say, if anybody wants to contact me, probably the best way is through my LinkedIn account, which is um, 
singing and dancing now. Um, <clears throat> and uh, that's probably the easiest way, of course, email as well. But uh, but, uh, but LinkedIn is a good, good tool to contact me if they want to. And what is your email, Peter? It is peter at a-p-w.uk. Great. It's fantastic. That's a great email address. Thank you. I would just say we've been talking for half an hour now, and even in that short time, you know, I think there's a couple of um, good messages and good points that people can take away from what you said there, Pete. You know, it's, yeah. um, you're never too young to start, or the younger you can start, the better. Um, you know, and, exactly. it's, and it's not as difficult as everyone thinks. So I think, yeah, even in that short sort of 30 minutes, there's some, some good takeaways. So uh, you know, to have you back next week will be good, and we can go into perhaps more detail for people. For sure. Thanks very much, guys. Thanks for taking the time. Enjoyed it. Okay, Peter, you take care and be COVID safe, everyone out there.